Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, like I say, we're still short on number of people, but we've got people out sick. We've got people on vacation. We've got people just not getting out because of this virus and everything. But I, I, I praise God for who's ever here. And uh, as y'all know, uh, that's like Tommy was saying, we lost a member of our church Thursday, Jimmy Mitchell. He was in a really terrible car wreck. Now his service will be, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Tuesday uh, up here at Azel Land. And uh, the, there will be a viewing and it will begin at 9 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock we will have the service. And uh, like Tommy said, back here at the back, there's a bucket. I wanted to, well, as the church, I wanted to give Becky a love offering because I know there's some things that's going on that she needs some help with. I'm gonna, we'll do it uh, today, and then I'm going to do it again next Sunday. Some of you today were not aware that this was going to take place. You may not have a check. You may not have the cash on you today, but... Uh, We'll do it today and next Sunday and try to take care of some of the needs come up from this circumstance. And uh, so, Jimmy, as y'all know, Jimmy and Becky were our youth pastors. So we've, we've lost a great person that helped lead the youth and uh, Becky is still going to be, as far as I know, we haven't talked, but as far as I know, she will still be doing this. And uh, I know she's going to need some support and some help, and uh, I know she'll appreciate anything that anybody can help her with. And, uh, but you know, as I was sitting in my office and I was praying this morning about this service today because this has been a really rough week trying to put together this service I got Jimmy's service put together and then I got Wednesday's service put together plus the phone calls and everything else in between but you know when God's with you God's with you and I just feel like that uh, God's been with me all week. And I know Becky feels the same, that he has given her strength to go through what she's going through. And so I think the biggest concern I had was Jimmy's funeral service. Because when I do a funeral service, it's not a generic funeral service. It's from the heart. And when I put together one for somebody that's a member of this church or somebody that I know, I guess I just really dig deeper to make it special for the family and for all the others that know the individual. There's a lot of funeral services I've been to and it's just a generic service. But I try to make it special. And that's what I've tried to do for Jimmy. 
And uh, I think about the latest I have slept all this week is around 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I was up at 4.30 this morning. And, you know, I just had things that's on my mind. I go downstairs, I pray, and I ask God to give me directions on what, first of all, I ask Him and say, Lord God, let me please you and what I say. Let me please and comfort the family in what I say. So I bring God into everything that I do. I bring God into this service. I pray about what I'm going to do or what God wants me to do. Sometimes I probably don't hear God that He gets up here and He changes it and that's fine. I want God to have complete charge. Just like that song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I welcome the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me for your sakes. I never want to say or do anything that is contrary to God's Word. I always want to say what God says. And if I say what God says, then I know I'm saying the right thing. So I just want y'all to know that uh, I welcome God into this church. I know this church is going to, after a lot of this stuff is over, like I said, we've got a lot of people on, vac- we got people on vacations. We've got people gone. We've got people out sick. Uh, and I keep up and check on them. And it's just... One thing after another, it seems like here lately. But uh, as, as I was sitting in my office, I turned and I went over to the book of John. And I was looking at something that Jesus told Martha whenever Lazarus had passed away. Martha was all concerned. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Lazarus' death was for a purpose. It was to glorify God. But then Jesus said something to Martha. And I would say this to Becky. Here in John 11, 25 and 26, And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yes, Jimmy passed away on this earth, but he's fully alive in heaven. He's fully alive in heaven. And then he went on, he said, and whosoever lives, that's us, whosoever lives and believes in me shall not die. If you're alive and you believe in Jesus Christ, yes, your body will die, but your spirit will never die. Your spirit will leave here and go straight and directly to be in the presence of God. You'll never see death. Your spirit will never see death. And then one day that body will come up out of the grave, be united with that spirit, and forever, ever, ever be in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So as I look and I see Jimmy right now, I see him in heaven looking down and smiling. Tips looking down and smiling. So we don't look at them as being dead. We just look at them as going away and then we'll join them later. So, no, Jimmy is not dead. His body will be in the ground, but his spirit is alive and well in heaven. So, when, when, when you lose a loved one, if you know that they know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about where they are or what's going on. They're better off than you are. And so, today I would like to speak for just a few minutes, and I've called it the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that gets us to heaven. It's His shed blood. What He did on that cross and what we believe in our heart, that is what gets us to heaven. And I know that Jimmy believed with all his heart. So like I said, I know where Jimmy's at. You know, the blood of Christ, and I hate to say it, but that's a subject that we don't hear much about anymore. You'll see very few churches preach about the blood, talk about the blood. But you know, the blood affects us. It affects how we live here on this earth, but it also affects us on what happens when we die. If we die without the blood, we'll never see heaven. If we die without believing about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we'll never see heaven. The blood is very important. And many people are skipping over the blood. There are some denominations that I know of that have removed the mention of blood out of their songs, out of the sermons. They don't even talk about it. Because they think, well, blood, that's just something you don't want to talk about. God thought blood was very important. Blood was very necessary. Just think about it. God put blood in our bodies. If that blood is not coursing and going through our bodies, your body is dead. You have to have the blood. Jesus thought enough and loved us enough that He gave His only begotten Son that if we would believe in Him, we will have everlasting life. He sent Him to this earth as a baby, human. He came to be a one of us. Emmanuel is what they called Him. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Jesus came as God to be with us and to teach us about God. You know, people had heard about God, but they didn't know that much about God. They thought God was a terrible taskmaster, just waiting for us to make a mistake and up there with a giant water to swat us. But Jesus came, and he, he informed us, and He told us about God, about God's love, about how much God loved us. And see... Jesus told people, he said, for I am God also. I am God the Son. He came in order to give us life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without that shedding of blood, Jesus, you know, when Jesus shed his blood, you know what that was just, you could kind of compare it to? 
When you go into the hospital and you get a transfusion, Christ shed his blood to give to us so we could have everlasting life, so we could have life. Without the blood of Christ, we have no life. But when he died on that cross and he shed that blood, he gave us life, eternal life. So regardless of where the man tries to take the blood away and do without it, it's not going to do any good because the blood is still necessary. The blood is always going to be there. You know, Christ's blood for salvation will still remain no matter what man says or does. That blood is going to remain. That blood for our salvation is going to remain. You know, and God had to do something because of the way we were living. How we lived. Man was living in sin. And you know, to God, sin is very serious. It has been said, and I've heard it said by, uh, by biblical writers, I guess, they said, if we could see how sin affects God, how God sees sin, we would never sin because it would upset us so much as how sin hurts God. God cannot look upon sin. Sin hurts God. And He wants sin to be done away with. As long as man walks this earth, in this day and time, there will be sin. Man has what you call a sin nature. When you were born, you were born into sin. Sin was on you when you was born. But praise God for His love and His mercy. God, if a young baby or young person dies and they have not reached to that age of what we call accountability, that they know the difference between sin and not no sin, God holds it and He doesn't hold it against them. They're too young. They don't know. God is a just and a loving God. And He would never condemn a baby that died and say, No, you can't come to heaven. I'm going to cast you into hell. God won't do that. Well, how do you know that babies go to heaven? Well, when I look back at the story of David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba had a baby from David, an illegitimate baby. And God told David, David, that baby will die because of the sin that you and Bathsheba committed, it was placed upon that baby. Yes, the baby died. David prayed and prayed that God would restore that baby. Hmm. And then David finally came to the realization that my son is gone. He can't come back to me, but I can go to him. That's telling us that baby was in heaven with God. So we have these little children. 
God watches over those little children. He says He loves the children. And in the order it says for us to get to heaven, we have to be as that of a child. What do you mean we have to be that as a child? Innocent. Not knowing anything. Innocent. That we believe and trust and have faith. You know, that's what a child does to a parent. They believe in that parent. They trust in that parent. They have faith in that parent. That's what, that's what we have to do to our loving Heavenly Father. Is believe in Him, trust in Him, and have faith in Him. That's what, it, that's what it's going to take us to get to heaven. And to confess our sin. To get rid of that sin. It's just like God said, I cannot look upon sin. And what He's saying here is I cannot look upon sin when you know better. See, like I'm a little baby child. They don't know. But we know. We are old enough to know. We're old enough to read God's Word and see how He feels about sin. And He knew that if He did not send Christ, that none of us would ever make it to heaven. It was only through Christ that we will get there. If we belong to Christ, just think about something. And God even made provisions when we make a mistake and we sin here on this earth. God even made provisions for us to to be forgiven. If we belong to Christ and we repeatedly sin against God, you know what? You can expect His punishment. But if you continue to sin and you don't know Christ and you don't know Christ at all, you don't have Him in your heart, you can expect God's judgment. We, oh, we're going to be punished if we don't repent and get rid of that sin. Why? Because God loves you too much to leave you in that condition. He wants to bring you out of that sin. We go through just like He did Israel. He punished Israel for their disobedience, for their sin. Why? Because He loved them. Why do we punish our children? Because we love them. And we don't want them to keep doing the things they're doing to cause them problems and to get into trouble. That's what God does to us. When we sin and we do these things and we don't repent of that sin and we're not really sorry that we sin, maybe you're sorry you got caught at your sin, but sometimes if you're not really, come to God with a contrite heart. A heart that, Lord, I am so sorry. Lord, Lord, please forgive me. Please, Lord, I did not mean to do that, Lord. When you come to God with a contrite heart, a pure heart, a, re- a re- heart that's repentable, that you want to repent, that you want God just to forgive you, to, to take His anger away, God will. When we come to God and confess our sins, even after we've done something, you know, as, as I was studying this and everything, it said, you know, that that is one of the things how we fall into sin is because of the devil. He tempts us into sin and we're promised how great and wonderful and how good feeling that sin's going to be. Sometimes sin makes you feel that way, but it's for a very short period. Very short time. Sin is just for a very short time that you're enjoying it. Then God brings it to your mind and to your attention that, that, hey, 
I don't need to be here. I don't need to be where I'm at. See, because sin separates us from God. Sin deceives man. If we keep sinning and telling ourselves, well, God loves us, He understands, then we've been deceived. And you know who's doing that? Satan. He's telling you, oh, that's okay. You go ahead and do whatever you're doing. God understands. That's Satan lying to you. God says, no, you better understand that when you sin, you know you're sinning and you know that you're going against me and you know that it's going to separate us and you know that if you need something, you call upon me, I can't hear you until you get rid of that sin. And when you go and you get rid of that sin, you do it with your heart. You don't do it because you got caught at it. You do it because you truly, truly regret it that you did it. Many people come and confess a sin and they only do it because they got caught at it. If you're going to confess your sin, you do it because you're truly sorry you did it. You're truly sorry you did it. It's not that you got caught at it. Well, I guess I better go confess so they'll think that everything's all right with me. No, that's not what God wants. God wants a full, contrite, from the heart, repentance. And that's what we have to do. It has to come from the heart. Sin deceives. It's making us think that many times like, well, I'm saved, so I'm an exception to sin. If you're truly, truly saved, sin ought to really, really scare you. Make you worry that you are not right with God at that point. You know, like I said a while ago, sin promises to satisfy us, but the pleasure is only temporary. It's just for a little while. And in the end, sin will always disappoint and bring guilt. How many of us have done something we knew we was wrong and you, never, and you felt so guilty it almost made you sick? Because you knew you was wrong, but yet you did it. And that's the devil saying, oh, go ahead. God will understand. You're just human. Yes, we're human. But yet, if you're truly saved, God did something else when you become truly saved. He put a gentleman inside of you called the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, if you are truly got that Holy Spirit living in you, will convict you of your sin. I didn't say condemn you. I said convict you. He'll make you think about it. He'll bring it to your mind. That's what he did to David when he sinned against Bathsheba. That Holy Spirit brought that against David's mind. David couldn't eat, sleep. He said that, it was just like his whole body, all his bones ached and hurt. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. He couldn't do nothing. He prayed, oh, Lord God, Lord God. He was wanting, he knew that he'd made a mistake. And he was wanting God to forgive him and to, and to give him back the Holy Spirit. David was afraid of losing the Holy Spirit. He was afraid of losing it. Do not 
Take your Holy Spirit from me. That was one of David's pleas. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Anybody ever worry about losing the Holy Spirit? It says in the book that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it says for us not to come against the Holy Spirit. To do the things that we know that the Holy Spirit is not in. It tells us, do not quench the Spirit or stop the flow of the Spirit through you. How do you stop the flow of the Spirit? Sin. Knowing that you're sinning. But you keep on and on. And that Holy Spirit, you're quenching what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. That Holy Spirit wants to convict you of that sin Convict your heart and make you turn from that sin and come to God and ask Him for His true forgiveness. See, that's what David finally had to do. David finally realized through Nathan the prophet that the only way that he could come back to God was to totally, completely be honest with God, confess his sin. He said, and I went before God and I confessed my sin and I hid nothing. In other words, David said, I confessed everything. I didn't hold anything back. And that's what God wants. He wants us to get rid of that sin in our life so that He can come back through His Holy Spirit and bless us, to walk with us, to meet our needs, to answer our prayers. But we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit too. We have to listen. I want to ask you a question. And I'm asking you because I've been there. How many of you have ever done something that you knew was wrong, that you shouldn't have done, and all of a sudden you have such a guilt come up on you? And you realize, oh, what did I do? Oh, oh, oh I, what did I do? What did I? You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit coming on you, saying to you right now, Repent. Get back to God. What you did was a sin and you are displeasing God. Why are we like that? Why are we like that? Why is that what we do? We know better. We know better. We have to get right with God. We have to have God in our lives. You know, I don't know if you know it or not, but upon reading, I never really thought about it until I was kind of studying on some of this stuff here. Sin will always disappoint and it will bring guilt on the person who sins if they truly love God even to the point of bringing on depression. I didn't ever think about depression. But, but listen, a person's depression may be hidden with a, with a smile or a laugh, 
but it continues to drain the very life and vitality out of the one who refuses to forsake that sin. Even going to church or taking prescription medication will not help depression that is caused by sin. There's only one answer to that problem. And that's to come to God and ask forgiveness of that sin and then receive the blood of Jesus Christ and what He did on that cross. He will take that sin away and He'll take that depression away. You'll be like a brand new person. I was talking to a person, oh, it's been a while back, that asked me, I wish I'd known this back then, but I never thought about it like this. How come, what do I do when I have depression? I feel so depressed at times. I just simply told her. I said, the only one that can really take care of depression is God Almighty. He can take that depression away. But after reading this too, you have to renounce your sin. Because a lot of times it's sin in your life that brings depression on. And the devil is bringing that to you. He's putting depression in you and on you. Just going to church, taking medication, is not going to take away the depression that is caused by sin. There's only one thing to take away the depression caused by sin, and that's to come to God, ask Him to forgive that sin, and receive the blood of Jesus Christ of what He did on the cross. It says that will take away that sin of depression. You know, like I said, there is a power that brings the forgiveness of sin. We all know what that power is. In the book of Leviticus, God taught, taught the Israelis that life, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Unless you've got that blood flowing through your veins, you have no life. And they were to offer the blood on the altar for the forgiveness of their sins. He's talking about the blood of an innocent animal. You have to take that blood of the innocent animal and offer it on the altar. You took the life of an innocent animal that did not sin, had no sin, to remove your sin. See, all these many thousands of animals that were put on the altar and sacrificed was leading up to one thing the true and only sacrifice that was totally, complete, sinless, that can take away your sin, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what all these animals were leading up to, was God sending Christ to die on the cross to shed His blood. After Christ died on that cross, shed His blood, there did not have to be another sacrifice made ever. Christ was the final sacrifice. The only sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice needed. And it's still that way today. The blood of Christ is still moving. It's still flowing. And when we accept that blood, then we are forgiven. You know, it says, you know, until... It, it, it was just like uh, in Exodus, whenever uh, 
God was going to take the Israelites and move them to the promised land. Okay, what God was going to pass through the land because the Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. He was just he was coming against God every way he could. God told the Israelites to get a lamb. They would sacrifice that lamb. They would put the the blood in a bowl. And he says, then I want you to take a branch of hyssop, dip it in that blood, put it on the lintel, put it on the doorpost. And he said, and then, that night that I come by, I will pass over when I see the blood. And I told you all this once before, and it just, you know, I think it's just something said. But many people talk about a death angel. There's no death angel in the Bible. Read what it says. God says for then. So, and the death angel passed over. The Bible says, and God said, for I will pass over. No death angel, no matter. God himself will pass over. And when I see the blood, you'll be spared. But you know, those uh, Israelites, they had to do something first with that blood. It could have sat in that bowl, it would have done them no good. If they had just killed the, 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 the lamb, put the blood in a bowl and let it sit there. Not what God said. He said, apply it. And we have to do the same thing. We have to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our life. To our life. When we apply the blood to us, that's what God sees. He sees Christ's blood on us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Christ. He sees the blood of His Son that came and died on a cruel, cruel cross for you. He looks at that blood. Okay. I don't see no sin on you. You're saved because you've accepted what my son did. You'll come to heaven. You'll be in heaven one day. But we have to apply the blood. We have to have faith. We have to believe in all of our hearts that Jesus Christ is the living, truly, the Son of God that came and died on a cross and then He was buried. And then on that third day, he arose. He came back. What did I read? He said, for Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection. Christ is not just something. He is the resurrection. He's the one that resurrects us. He's the one that says, arise. Janice, come out of that tomb. Arise. Just like he did at Lazarus too. He tells us to arise and to come forth. What do you think is going to happen at the rapture? I honestly believe when he comes back, it says he'll come back with a shout. Does it not say that? And I think he's shouting down to those in the grave, Arise! Come forward! And then it says that we will not precede those in the grave, but then we will be caught up after them. Just like Lazarus. He hollers down, Come up! Come forth! 
and they come up out of those graves. People say, well, how's a person? It's been cremated. How, how does that work? God simply speaks the word, just like he did when he created this earth. Let it be. God speaks that word, those ashes come back into the form of that body and rejoin the spirit. That's no job for God. There is no problem for God to do this. But we have to get rid of the sin for God to be in our life. If we really want the blessings of God in our lives, we have to forsake sin. We have to forsake sin. You know, I know that sometimes we kind of get, hot, get, get tired of hearing that sin, sin, sin. Well, then let's quit doing it. We want to talk about it. As long as we do it, somebody better tell you about it so that you don't forget. And there's only one way to get rid of that sin, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. No other way. No other way whatsoever can you come to the Father except through Jesus Christ and what He did upon that cross. That's the only way. Jesus told us Himself, I am the only way. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes into God except through me or by me, believing in me, believing who I am. And when you do that, you can make it to God. You'll make it to heaven. Sometimes we don't take sin serious. We don't take sin serious. We get to this point and we say, well, I can sin, I can do what I want to, then later on I can repent. With that kind of attitude, would you be serious in your repentance? Would you really be being truthful with God? See, we can't lie to God, but God knows if you're lying. God says, you come to me, truly, sorry, come to me with a contrite heart, that's what he told David, a contrite heart, a pure heart, a heart that's been just overwhelmed with misery because of sin. That's the way David was. But when we come to God, it's got to be with our heart and truly knowing that we have sinned and ask God and truly want God's forgiveness. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm just about through, it says, one of the things that God does when He saves us, forgives us, is He sanctifies us. He sanctifies us. What does sanctify mean? The word sanctify means that God is taking that person that He saved and setting them apart for him to use. I got to thinking about that. I said, and I said, I wish I could be like Billy Graham. Can you imagine when God sanctified him? I'm setting you apart, Billy, to use you in a mighty way. There is no telling how many millions and millions of people that came to Jesus Christ and came to God because of Billy Graham. He set him apart. And on top of that, Billy Graham had to say, Yes, Lord, I'll do it. 
How many of you are willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll do it? Not many. Because sometimes some of the things that I have to do scares me to death. Y'all have no idea where I've been, where I've gone, who I've talked to, and the results of what happened. When this comes up, and I got a call that says, I need to talk to you. This is very serious. I need to talk with you. First thing I do, Lord God, I ask you through your Holy Spirit to walk in there with me. I ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. I ask for your wisdom. I ask for your knowledge of what to say to that person. I want them to see you in me. And sometimes I got to admit, I'm dreading walking into that room. But then, in a, but then I also know that I'm not going in there by myself. I'm not going by myself. Sam, Pat, Roy. Whenever I came over to y'all's house that day to see Benny, y'all don't know the prayer that I went through before I got to your house. I just got a report this morning. We prayed for Benny. Benny had cancer. He still got some. But he called Pat and told her, they have told me I am 50% better than what I was. See, that is the Holy Spirit working. Even Benny told the doctor, that's God. It's God. When I left that house that day, they said that, that Benny was in good spirits because of what was said. And I just simply prayed, God, you speak through me. You know what he needs. You know what he's going through. You know what he needs to hear. You know what you're going to do already before I even got here. The only thing I can do after she talked about it is, Lord God, thank you. Giving God praise, not me. Giving God praise. Because I didn't do anything. It was God. So we have to turn our hearts, mind, soul to God. You know, it's just like one of the greatest commandments Jesus ever gave. The disciples asked him, what is the greatest commandment? You know what, you know what Jesus said? To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then your neighbor as yourself. We're to love God with everything in us. We should care about each other as much as you care about yourself. Pray for them. Please pray for me and this church that God will restore We'll get rid of all this virus mess, get the people back in here, get rid of sickness. You know, we, we've got one whole family totally out. Betty, Luna, and Peggy, and Linelda, and, 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 and Annie. There's about four or five people right there that's not here because of sickness and illness. We've got Linda and Jerry. We've got Francis Howarth. 
96 years old. We got grandma, 93 years old. We need to get rid of this mess and get restored back to God and His ways. Invite God back into your church. Invite God back into your life. When we do that, you're going to see a big change and a big difference not only in the church, but in your own life. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I don't know if y'all realize it or not, but this wasn't my message. This is what God put on my heart up here this morning. He sees what's going on in this world. And He wants me to warn us and tell you there's only one way that everything's going to be all right, and that's through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, and anything I've said, I'm not here to offend you or to make you mad. But if I did, then you need to be up here. You need to be on your knees at this altar. And you need to be praising God and asking God to forgive you of any sin in your life, to restore you, to sanctify you to set you apart for God to use you however He needs you. Most of us don't want to ask that. It's scary. But where God sends you, He goes with you. He goes with you. You don't go by yourself. So I will ask the band to play. If you feel like there's something in your life that you need for God to restore, for God to forgive, then you need to come up to this altar and ask God. God, forgive me of my sins. Restore me, Lord, back to you. You know, when Solomon prayed, God said, you can ask for anything you want. And I'll go, you know what, son? Wisdom and knowledge of how to serve God. What to do that would please God. How to serve and take care of Israel. He said, you know, that is so great a people. I cannot do this. But God said, you know, you didn't ask for the life of your enemies. You didn't ask for riches or nothing else. But you know, he said, what you asked for, I'm going to do. And I'm even going to give you some things you didn't ask for. God wants to give you things that you hadn't asked for yet. But we have to acknowledge Him and invite Him into our hearts. So if you're here today, if you just need prayer, if you need to, to come to the altar, please do. So... This wasn't me speaking this morning. This was God talking to you.